What's going on guys? Welcome to Everything Always. My name's Michael Roman. Now, as promised at the Q3 earnings call this afternoon, there was a quick quote about the Disney Plus shows in that they hoped they could bring us those very soon as their top priority, and that was it. Just a very quick quote. But as far as Black Widow, there was sort of a huge implication. Disney doing something that no one thought they would with a huge blockbuster and what it might mean for Black Widow going straight to VOD. We're going to break down exactly what was said on the conference call about this and what this would mean for Black Widow if they're willing to do this with Mulan. Is there a chance Black Widow's actually going to go video on demand this year? We're going to break it all down, but first, if you could grab the subscribe button we're giving away two playstation 4 pros as well as a whole slew of other marvel related stuff including this insane one fourth scale xm studios beta ray bill as well as this infinity saga box set if you want to be entered to win all you have to do hit the subscribe button then hit the notification bell leave a like and a comment on this video and if you want stick around at the end of the video we'll get into all the giveaway stuff again there so first things first anybody could jump on this conference call today there were literally links all over reddit so if anybody tells you they were on the call sort of exclusively that's not true literally it was open to the public and that's why as far as being a public quote announcement or official they knew anything they said during this call could have ramifications as far as what people would think could happen that's why i am so surprised mulan is officially going to vod video on demand for a 30 dollars debut instead of being released in theaters and guys mulan is every bit a blockbuster as far as disney's concerned as one of these other huge marvel movies this is a huge deal and if they're willing to do that with a movie like mulan then there's no question at all especially if this goes well and they make a ton of money that that's definitely on the table for black widow look we've even said it here before at the channel even if theaters are open all the way by the end of the year there's going to be sort of reinforcements of protocols i'm thinking unless black widow's in every theater in every single theater in those theaters that they were going to lose money at the box office anyway if they put mulan on video on demand for a 30 dollars debut and it goes absolutely insane and does blockbuster numbers pun totally intended then this makes it all the more possible that black widow could indeed be released at the end of the year on vod if not safely in theaters this was the first step towards something we thought they never would do and a huge update at that considering how important blockbusters are in the theaters they need those box office takes those huge half million billion dollar numbers in order to justify spending between 100 and 200 thousand on these productions in the first place and if this is how they're going to recoup their losses especially in a fiscal year which again this was an earnings call especially in a fiscal year where it's been a total wipe Marvel Studios and Disney may be left with no other choice but to release this video on demand. Now, only time will tell, but you can guarantee if Mulan is a huge hit in this capacity, the door is wide open for Black Widow. Guys, let me know all your thoughts down below how you would feel about Black Widow coming out on video on demand. And if you're worried about the precedent this would set for Marvel Studios and how they release movies in the future, I've always said at the channel, one of the huge things about seeing these movies in public is you know you're surrounded by fans that are just like ourselves. They're not going to hit quite the same if we're sitting on our couch by ourselves or with our immediate family and not in sort of a public arena where everyone can cheer together for the biggest moments and I'm hoping that it's sometime soon if not this year next year the year after we can get back to that safely and enjoy these movies the way we used to guys let me know all your thoughts down below and quickly let's get into the giveaway stuff before I let you go we're still giving away two PlayStation 4 pros the next of which is at the 700,000 subscriber mark if you want to be entered to win all you have to do hit the subscribe button then hit the notification 
bell, leave a like and a comment on this video and that'll automatically enter you to win all the rest of the prizes here at the channel like this insane 1 4th scale beta ray bill as well as our third Infinity Saga box set. Now if you're not familiar with the box set, these were limited to 4,000 in pre-order, sold out the very first day they were announced and then absolutely shot up in value on the secondary market. If you want to be entered to win this third Infinity Saga box set that we got our hands here on the channel and we'll be giving away during the holiday season, all the same rules will always apply. Hit the subscribe button, then hit the notification bell with notifications turned on, leave a like and a comment on this video, and because it's truly random, the more videos you like and comment on, the better chance you have of winning. All winners will be announced at the end of videos the same way we're doing here, and if you've missed any of the previous winner announcements, no worries, all you have to do is scroll back to the channel, look for the winner announcement and the sub count and the title, click on that video and scroll to the end. My name is Michael Roman, this is everything always, guys, thanks so much for checking out the channel and stick around, we'll be posting again real, real soon. Let's get into main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Kevin Finnerty. And Kevin Finnerty writes, Hey, John and gang. As you spoke about yesterday, Umbrella Academy came out this weekend and has been highly regarded. I was going through their list of cast and crew. The Umbrella Academy developer and main writer is actually the Moon Knight's showrunner. Can you establish any similarities between both the Netflix series and Moon Knight, or do you think this is an odd choice? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, one of the creators and main writers for Umbrella Academy, which I absolutely love. We talked about season two yesterday. I liked it even more than season one. Absolutely loved it. But we've got this guy by the name of Jeremy Slater. Now, Jeremy Slater not only did uh, Umbrella Academy, but he also created the... Um, um, Exorcist TV series, which I know a lot of people really, I never watched myself, but Rob, I think I remember you saying you liked uh, the I series. Liked it. Yep. So he also did that and he is slated to be the showrunner for the upcoming Moon Knight series. Now he was also the screenwriter for Fantastic Four, but we know that Fox took that movie and kind of ran in a completely different direction for it. So I don't know how, how much of Fantastic Four, if any of it that ended up on the screen ended up being Jeremy's responsibility or not, but that's a, that's a discussion for another time. Rob, I know you like Umbrella Academy, and I know you like The Exorcist. Mm -hmm. What do you think about the idea? And listen, I don't know anybody that's a bigger Moon Knight fan than you. Uh, what do you think about the guy who did Exorcist and Umbrella Academy doing Moon Knight? Do you think there's some similarities there? Do you, do you see elements in the shows that he's done already that can carry over well into Moon Knight? How do you think this is all going to work out? Well, I think if you look at both Umbrella Academy and Exorcist, they both are very smart shows. And obviously The Exorcist was based on the book and the movie, the first book and the movie. And the fact that they that the first season was actually a sequel to the original film and the book. And it was really creative. And while some of it worked and some of it didn't, there's a sensibility. I think there's a sensibility at work in both Umbrella Academy and The Exorcist show that uh, is a good genre sensibility. I think there's a real intelligence there. And I think the off-kilter sensibility that you see in both Umbrella Academy and Exorcist is exactly what a Moon Knight series needs. Now, I would assume, like I fell in love with Moon Knight when he was a very Batman-esque character. And over the last decade and a half, he's become a very different character. 
the idea that Moon Knight's multiple person, he literally is a multiple, instead of having multiple identities, his mind was fractured and he has multiple personalities and they've done a lot of interesting things with it. I think a combination of the old Moon Knight and then the new incarnation of Moon Knight is perfect for Slater's sensibility. I think whatever it's going to be, it's going to be worth watching because Umbrella Academy is terrific. I like both seasons of The Exorcist. So this is exciting to me. I'm, I'm, I'm stoked. Rob, when you're talking about Moon Knight, because this is something, you know, again, they announced Moon Knight. I know you were very excited at D23, what seems can, like a lifetime ago now. Like a year ago. Yeah, it, it was forever ago. We've clearly heard nothing about any movement on it. Um, and obviously there are extenuating circumstances going on, but we still hear about them making progress on Miss Marvel. We hear things being talked about, about scripts being done for uh, She-Hulk. We see obviously the shows that were already in development, like Falcon and Winter Soldier, uh, WandaVision and so forth. I know we were all surprised when they announced Moon Knight. Do you have any worries at this point that about whether Moon Knight is still actually going to happen? I, I mean, because it, it does seem to be the one show that they announced that I have heard extremely little about. Is this just a coronavirus repercussion or do you worry that this thing's even going to get made still? No, I think it's going to get made. I, I think, yeah, I think the coronavirus outbreak has pushed everything back. Um, I think, you know, with Marvel, we know they, they, they have their movies and shows in development for a very long time. And they, they game this stuff out. They're way ahead of us. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if the season's already been broken. You know, they've already, they've already, they know what they're going to make. And we just, we just don't know what that is yet. But, um, yeah, I think they're absolutely going to make a Moon Knight show. I think people want it. I think Kevin Feige wants it. And I think we're going to get it. It's just that everything's been pushed back what a year hmm. so we, I, I wouldn't expect to hear anything i mean we're still waiting for wandavision we're waiting for falcon and winter soldier i i mean who knows when we're gonna get those and uh who knows is black widow been redated yet do we know when eternals is coming yeah i, I mean as far as i know they're still saying november or december for those two but who knows well i mean i i still think what you said yesterday is going to be very very uh, telling for us is gonna what 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 really does happen with Tenet? What really does happen with Tenet? Because if Tenet gets bumped off that September third date again, I think we will very quickly hear about uh, uh, Black Widow and Eternals both getting bumped. If it makes its thing, then then it's still up in the air. We'll have to wait and see. And question Wonder Woman eighty four. Yeah, and Wonder that's another one. A question is for you guys. What are you thinking about this move? With Moon Knight, what do you think about the guy who does Umbrella Academy and the Exorcist series going over to do that? Do you think that's a good fit? Do you like the guy, but maybe don't see that as being such a good fit? Do you think the show is still going to happen at all? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. What's going on, guys? Welcome to Everything Always. My name's Michael Roman. Now, while we all eagerly anticipate this afternoon's Q3 earnings call for Disney, and by extension, hope for some sort of official update as to what's going on with Marvel Studios for the rest of the 2020 calendar year, we have some breaking news in the form of an exclusive here at the channel from industry insider and friend of the channel, Mikey Sutton, in the way of a confirmation, making good on earlier rumors and reports that Allison Brie was being looked at by Marvel Studios for the She-Hulk, who has now either officially 
officially already signed on for the role or is in the act of signing. We're going to read through the report word for word, break it down and bring you up to date on all of the previous reports tying her to the role of She-Hulk as now it looks like it's a done deal. But first, if you could grab the subscribe button, we're giving away two PlayStation 4 Pros as well as a whole slew of other Marvel related stuff, including this insane one fourth scale XM Studios Beta Ray Bill and our third limited edition Infinity Saga box set. If you want to be entered to win, all you have to do, hit the subscribe button, then hit the notification bell, leave a like and a comment on this video. And if you want, stick around to the end of the video. We'll get into all the giveaway stuff again there. Now, as I touched on briefly in the prologue, this afternoon is indeed the Q3 earnings call for Disney and perhaps maybe even Marvel Studio updates. And that'll take place in the early to late evening this afternoon. So if you guys want to check back at the channel, we will, of course, bring you any updates for Marvel Studios that we get from that call. And in the past, there have been some reveals in lieu of no official announcement yet. We are definitely anticipating something, especially considering within the last three days, Marvel Studios resumed production and for what's been probably a horrible three fiscal quarters it could go a long way in quelling some sort of anxiety if they say hey we finally got back to production now regardless this update from Mikey Sutton tying Alison Brie to the role of She-Hulk and this coming after much speculation if you haven't caught it there are several interviews out there where she sort of awkwardly denies any knowledge of being tied to this but this is what he goes on to say in his brand new exclusive that Alison Brie is going to be She-Hulk. Alison Brie is seeing green. Speculated for months that she's in the running for the title role of Disney Plus's She-Hulk TV series, Mikey Sutton has learned that Brie has either signed already or is on the brink of becoming Hulk's similarly emerald-coated female cousin. One source has told me that Brie has already agreed to the deal, Sutton revealed. There is no official announcement yet, but this is the same insider who leaked that Brie Larson had discussed becoming Captain Marvel with Kevin Feige shortly after she won the Oscar. And then Sutton goes on to add that this was one of his earliest scoops on his personal Facebook page long before anybody knew who he was yet. He then also goes on to add that she will be entirely CGI, much like we saw Mark Ruffalo, and that Brie is Jennifer Walters, Sutton added. Her intelligence, her buoyant personality, her comic timing, she's Jennifer. Like Mark Ruffalo, CGI will take over once she's She-Hulk, but Brie's charm will be the heart beneath the effects. Sutton spoke to other industry insiders who also admitted that Alison Brie was indeed the frontrunner and top selection for Marvel Studios, but were unwilling to concede a casting. However, Sutton is convinced the selection has been made, and it is, as he says, quote, just a matter of time before Brie is announced. He then said, then they can pursue Thunder next. I definitely believe there is something to this, as if you watch the original interview that she had, I believe it was with James Corden on his talk show, you can clearly see how uncomfortable she got when he grilled her about any known possibility of her being cast for this type. And if you remember why he even asked in the first place, it's because Marvel apparently released a casting production grid that said that they were calling for an Allison Brie type Pretty interesting considering Allison Breeze available. Maybe it was their way of reaching out without reaching out. Either way, there's a strong possibility that unless Allison Brie has some objection to being a part of the Marvel Universe, she would probably jump all over that. And if you haven't seen her in something like Glow or any of her other work, she'll be a great Jennifer Walters, especially the way I remember reading her briefly in some of the comic book runs where she crossed over into the Golden and Silver Age stuff I remember reading. Guys, let me know all your thoughts down below on this casting for the character. If you had someone else in mind or if you're even familiar with with her work and of course we probably won't get any major casting reveals at this afternoon's earnings
means call. That's not the sort of stuff we're looking for. What we're looking for is release dates for the Disney Plus series, and this hasn't even gone to production yet. But at some point, you've got to believe if this has happened alongside the casting for Miss Marvel, which again would have already been in production this past summer had things been on time, then there should be some sort of huge announcement coming at some point, as they know all the fans are absolutely starved for that kind of thing at the moment, and they weren't present at San Diego Comic-Con at home. Guys, let me know all your thoughts down below, and remember to check back at the channel this sort of late afternoon, somewhere around 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, as we'll be bringing you updates from that Q3 earnings call, and quickly, let's get into the giveaway stuff before I let you go. We're still giving away two PlayStation 4 Pros, the next of which is at the 700,000 subscriber mark, which we're steadily headed towards. All you have to do to be entered to win, hit the subscribe button, then hit the notification bell, leave a like and a comment on this video, that'll automatically enter you to win all the rest of the prizes here at the channel, like this insane XM Studios Beta Ray Bill at 30 inches tall. This is no way an action figure if you're not familiar with these sort of collectibles. It's an immaculately sculpted museum quality representation of Beta Ray Bill from XM Studios shipped internationally from where the license is held overseas. This is an exquisite piece as well as the third Infinity Saga box set here at the channel. Now, if you're not familiar with these, they were limited to 4,000 in pre-order. They sold out like the day that they went up and then have absolutely shot up in value on the secondary market. We're going to give away this third one and the final one here at the channel that we've gotten our hands on towards the end of the year, probably during the holiday season in December. If you want to be entered to win either of the PlayStations, the Beta Ray Bill, this Infinity Saga box set, or anything we add to the channel over the next couple of years as we hopefully push this all the way to a million, all the same rules will always apply. Hit the subscribe button, then hit the notification bell, leave a like and a comment on this video, and because it's truly random, the more videos you like and comment on, the better chance you have of winning. All winners will be announced at the end of videos just like we're doing here and if you've missed any of the previous winner announcements no worries all you have to do scroll back through the channel look for the winner announcement in the sub count in the title click on that video and scroll to the end my name is michael roman this is everything always guys thanks so much for checking out the channel stick around we'll be posting again real real soon What's going on guys? Welcome to Everything Always. My name is Michael Roman. Now, caught up in the news cycle over the last two weeks, there have actually been a ton of reports from separate industry insiders and separate sources sort of cooperating each other about the upcoming Captain Marvel 2, its secret invasion storyline, and perhaps its place as an Avengers-style crossover event. While that's not a title we're quite comfortable with here at the channel, and we'll explain why, we're going to break down all of the industry insider reports, talk about where they came from and what they're saying about the upcoming secret invasion for Captain Marvel 2, the new characters to be introduced, and of course the new major villain, the big bad for this film, and how there will be a major change from his Fantastic Four origins to Spider-Man. Like I said, we're going to break down all the reports for Captain Marvel 2 Secret Invasion, but first, if you could grab the subscribe button, we're giving away two PlayStation 4 Pros, as well as a whole slew of other Marvel-related stuff, including this insane one-fourth scale XM Studios Beta Ray Bill, as well as our third Infinity Saga box set. If you want to be entered to win, all you have to do, hit the subscribe button, then hit the notification bell, leave a like and a comment on this video, and if you want, stick around to the end of the video. We'll get into all the giveaway stuff again there. Now, as you might have noticed in the title or caught it mentioned many times in the prologue, the Captain Marvel 2 storyline or subtitle is apparently going to be Secret Invasion, and that means Captain Marvel and whomever from the Avengers or other superhero teams, note that I say other 
other superhero teams should join her on this adventure, they'll be facing off against none other than the Skrulls. Now, there was an original anonymous industry inside report from Roger Wardell going months back that said perhaps it would be the Badoon, and we've even reported on here at the channel there was a strong possibility it might be the Brood, but now knowing that it's a secret invasion storyline and what that means from the comics, it's definitely going to be the Skrulls, and when you think about all of the Skrulls, there's only one in particular who's the baddest of them all in Super Scroll. But before we get to that, the first report comes from none other than industry insider Mikey Sutton through an exclusive on a different YouTube channel here on the platform explaining the introduction point from none other than Nova will indeed be Captain Marvel 2 and that sort of piggybacked off the anonymous report the week before coming from a different publication that Captain Marvel 2 would have a ton of Star Wars vibes. And that's why Nova would play right into this film as an epic cosmic adventure and remember I said members from other teams it's been heavily rumored that Nova will actually go on to feature and become a member of the new Guardians of the Galaxy after Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is released and that team apparently will end. We'll get into more on that later, but this will not only be the introduction point for Nova according to Mikey Sutton, but Spider-Man will play heavily into this film and when he does, there will be a major change to Super Scroll based on Spider-Man, well for obvious reasons. Look, this movie is going to be a predecessor to Fantastic Four. They're not going to get that film out before Captain Marvel 2. And when they do, if they introduce Super Scroll, his main powers were to emulate the Fantastic Four. That's why he was sent to Earth from the comics in the first place. Of course, if we don't have a Mr. Fantastic, if we don't have a Human Torch, if we don't have the thing, then he can't mimic those powers. So whose powers will he indeed mimic? And according to Mikey Sutton, believe it or not, the Super Scroll won't be mimicking the Fantastic Four, but indeed mimicking Spider-Man, which is a huge, huge departure from his original power set and his place as a villain for the Fantastic Four. I could believe that they're introducing him during this film alongside the other scrolls to possibly go on to feature against the Fantastic Four down the road, but when you think about all of the big bads left to be introduced during Marvel Phase 4 and 5, the place the Mandarin is going to take, of course, Doctor Doom, we've talked about it at length, there's really only so much room for certain villains, and a villain like Super Scroll who doesn't have as storied a past as you would think compared to some others like Doctor Doom, which have shown up in multiple runs and multiple integral storylines in the Marvel Universe, it's hard to see just how much this supervillain would feature past the Secret Invasion film. Now speaking of Secret Invasion, when you already know that they're shape-shifting aliens, that can't be the reason that they infiltrated your government, and since we've already used that inside the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they're going to have to figure out a way that that becomes a huge problem for people on Earth, and of course I said people on Earth because that's bringing me to my most important theory. Think about it. They wanted to keep the scrolls' identities hidden as long as possible. That's why nobody knew that there was a scroll sitting in for Nick Fury for all that time, including Peter Parker himself. In fact, they've kept this a complete secret, hopefully having them work on the sword base. So you could easily have them infiltrating down on Earth if people weren't paying attention, because not everybody would even know about these scrolls in the first place. But I kept seeing people down on Earth, and I specifically meant superheroes, and this is where the rub sort of happens. Yeah, we've already had Spider-Man in space. Marvel Studios sent him there as soon as they could and a huge departure pun totally intended for the way spider-man had been played before then you have the introduction of nova and when you think about the sword base in the agents of sword television show this is definitely going to be a cosmic epic 
And when it's going to be a cosmic epic, it's going to starkly leave out, yes, another pun intended, Marvel puns everywhere, those Avengers which are ground-based. Think back to a specific interview with Kevin Feige immediately following the 2019 San Diego Comic-Con release where he was asked about what the next huge crossover event is, and he said that he hoped over Marvel Phase 4 and 5 that they would be leading to two different and distinctive things, and that he hoped it would feel like for the audience two distinctive things. That's going to happen and we're going to start to see the groundwork laid for what's going on basically on the Earth-based side during the upcoming Black Widow. This definitely sounds like the cosmic side and so calling this a major crossover event, even an Avengers movie on the scale of Civil War, which was something that was reported at by the direct, or now what's rather the direct beta, is a little hard to swallow considering it's going to be leaving half of the main Avengers outlook. I can't think of it as an Avengers film unless you're including the brand new Captain America, and it's also hard to see Falcon having a place in a cosmic-based adventure. That's why there's definitely a disparity in the power set for this brand new team and or teams, and they're going to have to face different villains to highlight those power sets. Now, we all think what's going on down on the Earth-based threat is leading into the Thunderbolts, Thunderbolt Ross pulling the strings behind the scenes, and we'll start to see that groundwork laid in the upcoming Black Widow, possibly leading to the formation of that team, but definitely becoming a threat somewhat as far as the Red Hulk down the road and what's going on with that side of the Avengers. It's going to be quite different than a full-on scroll invasion out in outer space. And of course, some of that will take place on Earth, and that's probably where you'll find Spider-Man. And could Falcon and the Winter Soldier, some of these other characters, be involved? Of course, especially if the scrolls are infiltrating the government and the Avengers down on Earth. But more likely the case, like we heard from before, an anonymous source that this is going to have serious Star Wars vibes it's going to be a space epic and when it is it's going to leave characters like falcon out and to me you can't really call this a civil war granted they didn't have hulk in civil war they didn't have thor in civil war either and that's a third of the original team still you can't call this a civil war event because i'm doubting there'll be that many heroes involved on that scale. And of course, Civil War implies the infighting between the two of them. Captain Marvel hasn't really gone on to take her place as an Avenger yet. And unless they're going to take time to set that up, in a different film somewhere on the Phase 4 slate, which it would be hard to see where that is, it's going to be very weird to have her being an Avenger all of a sudden in that film. I think more likely the case, she may find one or two commonalities among some Avengers. Apparently one of them will be Spider-Man, and those are the characters we'll see a ton during that film possibly nowhere near the scale of Civil War with as many heroes as that involved. Guys, let me know all your thoughts down below in the comments. Do you think it's a little weird to bring the scrolls back after we've already dealt with them in Captain Marvel? And do you think the introduction of Nova makes a lot of sense during this film? How do you feel about Super Scrolls power set possibly being changed to mimic Spider-Man, that just feels a lot like Taskmaster as well. They're going to have to do a lot here to differentiate that and make us understand what a threat he is. And I think there's something to that, him being introduced during that film, but then going on to feature against the Fantastic Four down the road. Guys, let me know all your thoughts down below. And quickly, let's get into the giveaway stuff before I let you go. We're still giving away two PlayStation 4 Pros, the next of which is at the 700,000 subscriber mark. All you have to do to be entered to win, hit the subscribe button, then hit the notification bell, leave a like and a comment on this video, and that'll automatically enter you to win all the rest of the prizes here at the channel, like this insane 1 4th scale XM Studios Beta Ray Bill. If you're not familiar with collectibles like these, this is in no way an action figure standing at almost a full 3 feet tall, 30 inches. This is an immaculately sculpted museum quality representation 
adaptation of the character as well as our third Infinity Saga box set. Now we've already given away two here at the channel and if you're not familiar with these, they were limited in 4,000 to pre-order last year and they were sold out literally the day they got released. As soon as they were shipped the following year, which was this calendar year, they absolutely skyrocketed in value. We've received our third one here at the channel to give away. All you have to do to be entered to win if you want to win the PlayStations, the Beta Ray Bill, or this third Infinity Saga box set to be given away this holiday season, all the same rules will always apply. Hit the subscribe button, then hit that notification bell with notifications turned on, leave a like and a comment on this video, and because it's truly random, the more videos you like and comment on, the better chance you have of winning. All winners will be announced at the end of videos, the same way we're doing here, and if you've missed any of those previous winner announcements, no worries, all you have to do, scroll back to the channel, look for the winner announcement in the sub count in the title, click on that video and scroll to the end. My name is Michael Roman, this is everything always, guys, thanks so much for checking out the channel and stick around, we'll be posting again real, real soon. Welcome back to New Rockstars, I'm Eric Voss, and the upcoming MCU Fantastic Four debut is starting to come more and more in focus with new speculative reports that Marvel's first family could come as soon as Ant-Man 3, and mystery details that we still have no explanation for after our <laughs> that hopefully soon Jim and Movie Pam will explain. Now the evidence for the Fantastic Four throughout the MCU is scattered like buckshot. Some of it wedged in past videos we've made on this channel over the past year, so I'm gonna do some ballistics forensics and yarn back all of these clues into this master theory for the Fantastic Four, Doctor Doom, and a revised MCU timeline. Spoiler warning in case any part of this ends up being right because I have a feeling some James Gunn brand big chunks of it will be accurate. Let's rewind the clock one year. Kevin Feige confirmed at Comic-Con last year that despite the Fantastic Four not being announced for Phase 4, the title remains in development. They didn't even have time to talk about the Fantastic Four. You did, you totally had time, take his hat. Now this tease came hot on the heels of the biggest in-universe hint toward the Fantastic Four, yet the final moments of Spider-Man Far From Home in which Peter Parker glided through the renovated Avengers Tower atrium, probably past Reed Richards, Ben Grimm, Sue Storm, I mean, we wouldn't be able to see her, and down to the street with a mysterious sign reading, we can't wait to show you what comes next. One, two, three, fantastic. And many of us immediately speculated that the new occupants of Avengers Tower, the ones who renovated it, are the Fantastic Four. And the tower is now the Baxter Building. But consider the possibility that the Fantastic Four are not the new tenants of that structure, but the original occupants, reclaiming it from a history that reaches back long before Anthony Stark signed the lease. Now, the new reports suggest that the Fantastic Four could be debuting in Ant-Man 3, a movie that will answer some of our unanswered questions about the quantum realm like that city that's visible in the background which i increasingly believe is the residence of dr doom mostly because one of doom's oldest battles with the fantastic four ended with doom seemingly shrinking out of existence and then revealed years later to have become the ruler of a subatomic hidden kingdom our most recent episode of rogue theory tied this to the mystery of janet van dyne's never explained survival the possibility that victor von doom could be puppeting janet controlling her telepathically the same way she controlled scott Lang telepathically so that she could escape the quantum realm and then return with Pimtech to free Doom. A theory that Tommy coined. A villainous turn by Janet Van Dyne, or should I say Janet Von Doom. Keep the no. monogram. You do not have to change the initials. The towels remain. 
the bathrobe remains, <laughs> the bowling ball remains, because JVD <laughs> is still in business. Now, Peyton Reed is returning to direct Ant-Man 3, and he reveals how long ago he pitched to Fox to direct a Fantastic Four movie set in the 1960s, as many people remember their retro, campy, classic run in the comics. But that period in the MCU is a very interesting experimental gap period that we know very little about, aside from some interesting traces. We know back in the 40s, figures like Howard Stark, Peggy Carter, working for the first name Strategic Scientific Reserve, later reorganized as S.H.I.E.L.D., operated out of secret hidden labs all over the New York City area. And one of Howard Stark's innovations that he showed at the 1943 Stark Expo was Phineas Horton's Synthetic Man, an Easter egg in Captain America the First Avenger, pointing to the early Marvel comics, the original Human Torch, who later when that name went to Johnny Storm, was part of the Fantastic Four. Now we also know that Hank Pym later joined Howard Stark as a S.H.I.E.L.D. scientist and operative in the 60s. We saw him in Endgame at Camp Lee High in 1970, when Cap lied to him to get him out of the lab. This is Captain Stevens from Shipping. We have a package for you. Oh, bring it up. Well, that's the thing, sir, we can't. Sir, the box is glowing, and to be honest, some of our male guys aren't feeling that great. They didn't open it, did they? Uh, yeah, they did. You better get down here. Excuse me, out of the way. Hank sure is freaked the f out. It's almost like something like this has happened before. A previous glow that affected some of Hank's colleagues in the years before this in the 60s. Yes, I believe that there was another group of operatives during this period that we're about to learn about, and that one of the Strategic Scientific Reserve's hidden bases in the New York area was in Midtown, right near Grand Central, the Baxter Building. I mean, the MetLife building that it was based on was built in 1959. Why don't we clock it around there? Yes, in the 60s, my friends, while the rest of the Marvel world was sleeping in ice or not born yet, the Fantastic Four were in New York, experimenting with their buddy Hank Pym and 60s-era Howard Stark, who I just assume is Roger Sterling, which might be why they cast him. Exactly the 60s retro Fantastic Four period piece that Peyton Reed envisioned. I assume with Austin Powers dancing interlude. But then the party ends, tragedy strikes. In the lab, a mysterious glow irradiates Reed Richards, Sue Storm, Johnny Storm, Ben Grimm, and Victor Von Doom. These five fade from existence. And this is the moment Hank Pym discovers what caused this tech that he later renamed Pym particles. I know this is a lot to process, so let's shift gears to something smaller, more digestible, more compact, like the most discreet front pocket wallet, The Ridge! Thanks to The Ridge for sponsoring this episode. The Ridge helps you carry what you need every day, from their flagship Ridge wallet to their portable charging commuter backpack. They want to make the most out of what you're bringing with you. The Ridge wallet is made out of military-grade materials like titanium, carbon fiber. It has a clean, stylish look. It's chainsaw-proof, so when all those tiki-hating jerks come at you with chainsaws, their attacks will be not very effective. This is their aluminum tiki wallet. They do have other colors like matte cobalt blue or forged carbon fiber. All of them, they're light, they're strong, they're ready to party, but only with the minimal amount of cash that you brought with you because you don't need to bring everything. They make it easy to buy with free shipping and free returns and a lifetime guarantee. It's got 30,000 five-star reviews, so you know they're doing something right. They also have great backpacks and travel bags with RFID blocking pockets and optional device charging batteries. Get 10% off today with free worldwide shipping and returns by going to ridge.com slash newrockstars. That's ridge.com slash newrockstars and use the code newrockstars. Find the link in the video's description. Okay, so obviously we know Hank's five friends wouldn't have disappeared, they just went down into the quantum realm. And yes, the quantum realm is the MCU's microverse, but Ant-Man and the Wasp also kind of gave it properties of the negative zone, the alternate dimension where the Fantastic Four and Doom get their powers. Just like the weird supernatural abilities Janet got from there. There's so much we didn't know about this place, Henry. 
Worlds upon worlds, entire civilizations, far more than we ever theorized. But that energy from your hands, how did you do that? I'm not the same woman I was 30 years ago, Henry. This place, it changes you. I mean, adaptation is part of it, but some of it is evolution. Now, would this mean the Fantastic Four that we see in the MCU are like super old if or when they arrive in Ant-Man 3? Well, no! And the reason for this lies in the confusion many of you continue to have about why Janet Van Dyne aged 30 years in the quantum realm while Scott Lang aged only five hours despite being there for five years in our time. Time vortexes are separate things within the quantum realm. Scott went into a time vortex, Janet did not. She just stayed in the broader tier of the quantum realm in which time passes normally. That is why Janet warns Scott. Don't get sucked into a time vortex. We won't be able to save you. So Janet obviously didn't herself go into one of these time vortexes during her time in the quantum realm, yet she still knew about them, enough to caution others. How did she know? 20 years before Janet arrived in the quantum realm in the late 80s, there were four refugees to this realm who decided to venture even deeper into a time vortex and poof, gone. A ghost story told to Janet by that quartet's leftover companion, Victor Von Doom. He stayed behind. He gained powers. He built a civilization. And now he has the partner of the man who exiled him there. He can use her to escape and seek his revenge. Now, I explained in a past video how Modoc and AIM could tie into Ant-Man 3 as the mysterious benefactor funding Sonny Birch, who's after Pimtech, maybe with the MCU merging Modoc with the disembodied Zola AI. And maybe Zola Modoc could be Doom's contact on the surface, working with telepathically controlled Janet Von Doom to use Pimtech to resurrect Dr. Doom from the quantum realm. Now, meanwhile, the Fantastic Four, Reed, Sue, Johnny, Ben, they spent a shorter amount of time in the quantum realm's energy field, but long enough to gain powers of elasticity, invisibility, rock flesh, combustion. But before they aged too much, they rode a time vortex to the future, maybe latching on to one of the Avengers returning from the time heist or to Thanos forces when Nebula brought them from the past. Popping up on the surface on MCU 2023, this foursome reclaims their midtown base and rejoins their old buddy Hank Pym and his partner Janet, all while fully unaware of the evil of their old colleague ready to rise and come back to haunt them when Victor and those who serve him make their move in Ant-Man 3. That, my friends, is how you get the still young and beautiful Jim and movie Pam as Reed and Sue with an older, creepier, more powerful, and yet still beautiful Christoph Waltz as Victor. I hope. In a post-endgame phase four dimension hopping revised Manhattan skyline MCU. That was all in under 10 minutes. Feige, you had plenty of time. Join this nerdy theory discussion on our official Discord server by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash newrockstars. Follow me on Instagram at EAVoss. Follow New Rockstars and subscribe for breakdowns of everything you love. Bye! <laughs>
It's understood that all cast and crew have now arrived from overseas and after completing their required quarantine, shooting will begin in the coming days, 18 weeks later than originally planned. Welcome back everyone, it's Charlie. So we have a brand new Marvel Shang-Chi clip to break down. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on with the movie because Marvel's starting to film all their movies again. Thankfully, things are getting going. So we'll break it all down. There's a bunch of Easter eggs. If you're new to the channel, be sure to subscribe to get all the videos. We're doing an Amazon giveaway. All you have to do to enter is be a subscriber and let me know what you want them to do with the Shang-Chi character in Marvel Phase 4. So the new Marvel clip and the new scenes that they dropped here are just part of their real MCU Mandarin story. The fact that it's a traditional Asian village with no signs of modern technology probably means that it's most likely for flashback scenes explaining the origin story of the real Mandarin in his rise to power in his quest to acquire the Ten Rings of Power and then forming the actual Ten Rings organization that we've seen in all the Iron Man movies. There have been a lot of jokes in the Iron Man movies about the Ten Rings themselves. Are they real? Are they not real? The movie itself will actually canonize the actual comic book Ten Rings. They are real and they'll be trying to find them through the course of the film. But that just implies that at the beginning of the movie, the Mandarin doesn't actually possess all ten of them. Maybe he has a couple of them. But if you're not really familiar with the character, Shang-Chi himself as a character was created to be Marvel's Bruce Lee, basically. He debuted in the comics in 1973 during the big Marvel Kung Fu craze that was sweeping pop culture at the time, thanks to people like Bruce Lee in real life. Be formless, shapeless, like water. 1973 is also the same year that they released Bruce Lee's Enter the Dragon, so no coincidence there. The Shang-Chi movie is designed to be like Marvel's version of Enter the Dragon, but with an actual real dragon like Fing Fang Foom in the movie. I know everyone's been hoping that they actually include Fing Fang Foom in some big movie at some point. We never thought that we'd see him, but it seems like the Shang-Chi franchise is the perfect place to put him. They're also doing the tournament arc a la Enter the Dragon with the evil Bondish villain, which is obviously the MCU Mandarin in this case, with a vast empire trying to acquire more power, and the one dude, Shang-Chi, who has a chance to stop him with some help from friends that he makes through the tournament. They've already changed a lot about the Mandarin of the MCU and the Ten Rings through the Iron Man movies, but the Shang-Chi movie will just recontextualize a lot of the stuff that we've seen and heard about them so far and reveal the truth of what's been going on in all those Iron Man movies. These are all the Mandarin references and Ten Rings references that we've had so far. They call themselves the Ten Rings. You're not him, the Mandarin, the real guy. Where? You said you wanted the Mandarin. You're looking right at him. It's always me, Tony. Right from the start. I am the Mandarin! Ten rings, are they real? It's well documented. You mean to tell me that you don't know the history of the Mandarin himself? He was a warrior king. Inspired generations of men through the Middle Ages. Perhaps even further back in time. Not the Mandarin they'll remember. It's the name. Trevor Slattery. You're right. And for that sin, you will soon suffer horribly with a hole in your body for every ring of our faith. Some of you may remember Kevin Feige talking about the Mandarin of the MCU way back, I think it was in 2006. It was the year before Marvel did their big Iron Man panel. Kevin Feige had been talking about the movie hyping it up because Marvel was getting ready to film it and go into production. He said that the main villain of the movie would be the Mandarin. Obviously, things did not go down that way. Obadiah Stane wound up being the villain of that first Iron Man film. And Kevin Feige himself will joke about that too, just explaining how sometimes during the production process and development, their movies will change a lot from start to finish. 
But right now in the MCU, canonically, the real Mandarin is a warlord who rose to power, formed the Ten Rings organization, and then created several splinter cells operating independently from the main Ten Rings group throughout history, predating most of the Marvel movies. In that clip from Marvel's one-shot All Hail the King, when the reporter is taunting Trevor in prison, they're saying some claim that he's ancient and has lived for centuries, some say he's even older than that, wink wink. That's just their way of acknowledging the comic book Mandarin's backstory. Because in the comics, the Mandarin started out just as this normal person a long time ago who found the wreckage of a crashed alien ship. The alien race were a bunch of big space dragons and their ship was powered by the Ten Rings. The rings were alive, they're sentient, just like Thor's hammer is in the comics. They changed their size automatically to fit his fingers, then he went on to use their power to gain immortality and near limitless power. The Ten Rings themselves aren't more powerful than the Infinity Gauntlet, but they're sort of an Infinity Gauntlet-like story device. You can think of them as a MacGuffin through the Shang-Chi movie. They're still crazy powerful, like near Infinity Stone levels of power, such that if the MCU version of the Mandarin ever acquired all Ten Rings, he'd be unstoppable for the most part, given that most of the Avengers have disbanded temporarily, and the other more powerful characters, like say Captain Marvel, are busy off in Kree and Skrull space, dealing with their own problems. Way too busy, as she says, to come out and help on planet Earth. So the Shang-Chi movie is just meant to dispel all the false myths and tell the real story of the true Mandarin of the MCU. But even though there'll probably be some comedic aspects to the film and the Shang-Chi character, like Shang-Chi as a character himself does have a good sense of humor, I don't think they'll be playing the real MCU Mandarin for comedy near the way that they did the Trevor character. So in that way, I think that most of the stuff that's been said about the real MCU Mandarin will actually wind up being true, just to make him seem more fearsome. They don't want to turn him into a joke like Trevor. Right now, the rumor is that Aquafina is actually going to be playing his daughter in the film, and she'll wind up becoming Shang-Chi's main side piece, his best girl, and will wind up helping him stop her father from acquiring all Ten Rings. But at the beginning of the movie, he'll be tasking her with tracking down the rest of the Ten Rings, and Shang-Chi will just get caught up in the chase for the Ten Rings through the tournament arc. So if you haven't seen Enter the Dragon, the villain holds this big Mortal Kombat-like tournament on a private island every once in a while. It's by invitation only, but the prize is so huge that all the best fighters around the world go crazy for a chance to participate. Then Shang-Chi just manages to score an invite to that tournament and uses it as an excuse to try and infiltrate the Mandarin's organization and find out what's going on with the Ten Rings. There'll be a ton of Iron Man Easter eggs, as you would expect, since the Mandarin is an Iron Man character originally, but there have been a lot of rumors about when the movie takes place in the MCU timeline. They're getting really crazy with some of these Marvel Phase 4 movies, like the Eternals movie takes place simultaneously thousands of years ago because the characters are so ancient, but also in present day after Avengers Endgame. Then you also have stuff like the Black Widow movie, which takes place before Avengers Infinity War, but after Captain America Civil War. So some movies in Marvel Phase 4 will be set during different parts of the timeline, and I'll just explain where everything fits when we get those trailers. The rumor right now, though, is that Shang-Chi actually takes place in that five-year time gap after the snap in Avengers Infinity War, but before Avengers Endgame. The five-year time gap is a really interesting period in MCU history because the Avengers were fractured even though some of them were still on planet Earth, Black Widow still trying to keep the peace with other major heroes left around the world like in Wakanda, but all that chaos around the world creates a lot of opportunity for MCU villains to take advantage of. Everyone post all your Game of Thrones little finger memes. Chaos is a ladder. Even though most of you probably already assumed, Marvel and Kevin Feige have implied that Shang-Chi would be in Avengers 5. They're meant to put him on a new Avengers team when they get ready to make another one. That movie won't be happening till deep in Marvel Phase 5 though, so it's still a long ways off. 
but most of Marvel Phase 4 right now is them introducing new Avengers level characters like Kit Harington's Black Knight in the Eternals movie, setting the stage for more big cosmic MCU threats. And even though Shang-Chi is very much a Marvel Kung Fu action movie, a lot of you are like, what is the connection between say like Shang-Chi and Fantastic Four, big cosmic MCU Galactus stuff? Think about it this way, the 10 rings of power are actually the 10 alien rings of power, like the Infinity Stones wound up on planet Earth. There's a very cosmic story behind how the MCU versions of the 10 rings wound up on planet Earth. So that's sort of the backdoor connection between Shang-Chi and the space-based cosmic Marvel movies. So there's going to be a ton of Marvel and Spider-Man related movies happening early next year, meaning a ton of big Marvel trailers coming later this year. I know you're all still waiting for a new Falcon and Winter Soldier trailer. There's also supposed to be a Star Wars Mandalorian Season 2 trailer sometime in the next couple of weeks. So as long as you have alerts enabled for my channel, you should see all those videos when I post them. Congratulations, Wes Stapley. You're the giveaway winner from my last big Marvel video. Please email me on the about page of my channel so I can get your contact details. Everyone click here for that brand new Benedict Cumberbatch Doctor Strange 2 clip and click here to learn about the new Marvel Phase 4 movies that they're bringing Thanos back for. Thank you so much for watching. Everyone stay safe. I'll see you guys tonight. Welcome back to New Rockstars, I'm Eric Voss, and the Marvel Cinematic Universe will always be a series revisited both by hardcore fans and people who are about to be. But one question now arising as those with idle time are putting their Disney Plus subscriptions to good use is, what is the best order to watch these films? Now, I've always felt that you can't go wrong with release order. That's how Dad did it, that's how America does it, and it's worked out pretty good so far. But let's be honest, if Marvel could endgame the timeline and release them all again, would they really do it all in the same order? Would Kevin Feige have followed Iron Man with Ed Norton Hulk and then another Iron Man movie? Would he release Hulk at all? The Star Wars franchise has its machete rewatch order, so I think it is time we did the same for a cinematic universe that actually pulled off masterful continuity and interconnectivity. I'm going to present to you New Rockstar's official MCU watch order, and in case you don't like it, don't worry, I got four of them. One of those, let's just start with the simple current release order. In the early years, Marvel Studios released films really according to like Hollywood studio clockwork. Which of these titles will maximize profits based on the hottest titles we currently got the rights to? And sure, filmmakers ended up minimizing risk with ground-based battles, and then later had to kind of awkwardly retcon things after recasting actors or suddenly regaining the rights to certain things. But all the foreshadowing and callbacks and post-credit setups, all those tie-ins are what make the MCU so great, and they all really work in one direction, and that direction is the historical release order, so for first-timers, that's how the rest of us consumed it, and you have to eat your veggies before the dessert, too. But uh, for the rest of us Marvel sweet teeth, let's cut that wire. Our buddy Hector Navarro proposed a solid watch order on Nerdist based on the chronology of the latest set ending scene of a film in order to best set up the next film. So while he sticks mostly to release order, he does rearrange some of the Phase 1 films and the Phase 3 films between Civil War and Infinity War. Definitely go check out his list, it's really good. But if we were to be true to the MCU chronology, you really should take into account the totality of the film's events. So with that in mind, here is our chronological order. Okay, you start with Captain America the First Avenger, which is set mostly in the 1940s. Then we move on to Captain Marvel, set mostly in 1995, and then you move on to Iron Iron Man, followed by the rest of Phase 1, which all take place in the same one week. That's called Fury's Big Week. Iron Man 2 ends by setting up the question of Hulk. So then we get Incredible Hulk, and then you get Thor. 
whose post-credit scene sets up Avengers. From there, the chronology follows release order. You got Iron Man 3, then Thor the Dark World, then Captain America the Winter Soldier, and then Guardians of the Galaxy. But since Guardians Volume 2 is technically set two months after Volume 1, that one comes next. Then you got Age of Ultron, and then Ant-Man, and then Civil War. But then Spider-Man Homecoming immediately follows Civil War, since its events directly follow Tony's recruitment of Peter and deals with the aftermath of that. And then you watch Doctor Strange, which technically does begin before Civil War, but Strange's bigger battles with like the Zealots, Dormammu, the bulk of that movie, that's all in the autumn after Civil War and after Spider-Man Homecoming. Okay, next I would place Black Widow. Since as of this taping, we've been told it's set in the two years between Civil War and Infinity War, but then I would put Black Panther, which is also set sometime after Civil War, but I prefer it as a kind of prelude staging of the crucial battlefield of Infinity War, setting up the Earth side of Infinity War so that next we could watch Thor Ragnarok as the cosmic side set up to Infinity War, so that after that you could watch Infinity War and then all the rest in release order, Ant-Man the Wasp, take out Captain Marvel because we've already watched that, then Endgame and Spider-Man Far From Home. Now, while this chronological order leads with Cap's origin, I believe it places too much emphasis on Captain Marvel. While Marvel Studios was deliberate about Nick Fury naming the Avengers initiative after Carol Danvers' call sign, it'd just be a bit weird to go 21 movies without another mention of Carol Danvers or the Skrulls. So for even more seasoned MCU watchers, us Uatu level watchers, Here's another option, which I'm calling the Cosmic Order. One that reframes the MCU as the colorful intergalactic theme park it eventually evolves into. So the Cosmic Order opens with Guardians of the Galaxy, which establishes the Infinity Stone's backstory and the Infinity Saga's big bad, Thanos, and his whole long game. And then next, you would go right into Guardians Volume 2, which builds on the celestial mythology and does hint at Terra as a pale blue dot destination, just part of this wide universe. And then following that mention of Celestials in the Guardians movies, here would be where we insert the Eternals film, which explores the link between Celestials and ancient life on Earth. Then following that would be Thor, exploring that link between the science of Earth and the magic of other cosmic realms. Then, twist here, you watch Black Panther, which, if you think about it, is a really interesting companion piece to the royal brotherly drama of Thor, and another story of how extraterrestrial influences ended up creating the most powerful kingdom on Earth. Like Asgard, Wakanda is a secret kingdom that debates on how best to help humanity. And only then do we now move on to Captain America the First Avenger, which shows how this cosmic tech was resurrected in the modern age, tying it into World War II. And then you watch Captain Marvel, which did secretly drag Earth into the intergalactic Kree-Skrull War. And then, now, do we watch Iron Man and Iron Man 2, which follows Nick Fury's initiative establishing Captain Marvel, followed by Incredible Hulk. Really, here, we're seeing the attempts and the failures of Earth's authorities trying best to prepare themselves for the coming wars. But then, the cosmic dam bursts when we watch Avengers. And then, in Iron Man 3, Earth's frontman, Tony Stark, suffers wormhole trauma, followed by wormhole double-downs in Thor The Dark World, but then in Doctor Strange, our next watch, we're reassured when some humans are masters of portal control. But then as we move on, Earth's inner defenses crumble when we watch Captain America Winter Soldier, Age of Ultron, Ant-Man, Civil War, and then Spider-Man Homecoming. That would be followed by Black Widow, presumably. And then with Earth's defenses down, the cosmic consequences play out in release order. Infinity War, Ant-Man the Wasp, setting up Avengers Endgame, and then Far From Home. 
By reframing these events on a cosmic scale, yes, this order does delay Tony Stark's entrance, but I would argue it also elevates his heroism as an unexpected latecomer from C-53, shocking the universe by saving everyone. And this order introduces the Infinity Stones in the same order of Thanos' acquisition of them at the climax of the saga. Power, space, reality, soul would be delayed because it doesn't appear until Infinity War, time, and then mind. Well, before I continue, thanks to Bang Energy for sponsoring this video. Wow! Every can of Bang is 16 ounces. It contains 300 milligrams of caffeine. It's sugar-free and has zero calories. Yet it tastes great. Purple. There's over 20 different flavors to choose from. One of those great flavors is Purple Haze. It is the power and the color scheme of the heart-shaped herb of Wakanda. Check out Bang on Instagram. You can get 25% off your order at bang-energy.com when you use the code NEWROCKSTARTS25. There you can buy cans of Bang Energy, including their sweet tea and keto coffee flavors. You can also get clothing, fitness supplements, all kinds of stuff to be your best Bang self. Thanks again to Bang Energy for sponsoring this video. Get 25% off at bang-energy.com using the code NEWROCKSTARTS25. But all this said, I recognize that not everyone watches the MCU through the same crazy cross-eyed wide-angle lens that I do. At the end of the day, this saga started and ended with the daddy who loved us 3000, and there should be a watch order option that reflects that. And so, I propose to you New Rockstar's definitive Iron Order. And of course, we open the same way Daddy Feige did, I am Iron Man, the story that started it all. But then we move on to the foil equally at the heart of the series, Captain America, the first Avenger. So we start with the two heroes at the core of this Infinity Saga. But coming out of the first Cap film, we then explore the consequences of super soldier experimentation on Earth by Thaddeus Ross in The Incredible Hulk. But then before Iron Man 2, here, I think would be a good place for Black Widow. Now, if the movie's events are too explicitly post-Civil War, it won't really work, but really, Natasha deserves to be among the first origin stories. Then we move on to Iron Man 2, which perfectly sets up Thor, but then right before the Avengers, we insert Captain Marvel. Because my favorite thing about that movie is how it's a Nick Fury origin story, which really does lead up to the Avengers, and how he got his hands on that Tesseract. Okay, so after the Avengers, next is Iron Man 3. But since that movie tricks us with a fake Mandarin, I think it'd be cool to follow this with the story of the true Mandarin in Shang-Chi in The Legend of the Ten Rings. But again, that would really only work if the movie's plot doesn't focus too much on the snap or the blip. But then next should be Captain America Winter Soldier, because we would follow the battle in New York with Stark's reaction, so we need to check in with the other hero of the story, Captain America, and his reaction after Nick Fury opened the Pandora's box and broadened the military-industrial complex. And next, we go to Thor The Dark World, which, given Eric Selvig's obsession with ancient ruins in that movie, could set up Marvel's The Eternals after that. And then all this collision of ancient cosmic tech with Earth sets up The Guardians of the Galaxy, followed immediately by Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, the movies really are our best watch back to back. And then we head back to Earth for Age of Ultron, Iron Man's biggest folly. But assuming Marvel does intend to set up an Illuminati storyline based on that Iron Man 2 Easter egg we've been talking about, I think after Ultron would be a good place for Tony's intellectual equal to be introduced, Doctor Strange, the two minds most important to defeating Thanos later on. And then we watch Ant-Man, leading to Scott's big role in Civil War. And optionally, if Black Widow does reference Civil War a lot, you could move it here instead. But then following Civil War should be the film's most centered around the characters that we were most curious about from that conflict, Spider-Man and Spider-Man Homecoming, then Black Panther, and then the movie that explained where Thor and Hulk were during Civil War, Thor Ragnarok. And Ragnarok perfectly sets up Infinity War, and then Ant-Man and the Wasp, and then Iron Man's big sacrifice play 
in Avengers Endgame and the battle over his legacy. And there you have it, the Iron Order, which alongside the normal release order, the chronological order, and the cosmic order, that gives you four valid watch orders for the MCU, each with mixed pros and cons, depending on what you love about this saga the most. But note that in each of these, I insist that you watch all of them. Because as awkward as the recasting is in the first Hulk movie, it is still part of the history. But which watch order do you prefer for the Infinity Saga? Comment down below and join this discussion on our official Discord server by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash newrockstars. Follow me on Instagram at EAVoss, follow New Rockstars, and subscribe for future watch orders once more movies come out, like my upcoming Vossi wildcard order that like involves watching Endgame at the same time as Avengers in the Dark World and Guardians 1, and then stopping and pausing different windows of Disney Plus and crying that Thor more Thor hasn't come out yet. <laughs>